thousand dollars on shoes? What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And we are back for another, but not the last, but the last one for this season. And just like that rewatch episode, Chelsea, it's amazing to have you back. How the hell are you? I'm happy to be back, but full disclosure, I do still fully feel like shit. For those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode, I was out because my dog passed away. And if you know my wife and I, or especially if you follow us on Instagram, you know that we're those like really annoying dog people that are obsessed with the dog. So we've taken it hard. The vibe at the house is very like, Cries and Whispers meets Lady Gaga singing I'll Never Love Again at the end of A Star is Born. But happy to be here and so grateful to everyone, to all the fuckettes who sent me really sweet messages. Um, I know there's a lot of people going through hard shit listening to this episode, and I am utterly honored to be that distraction for someone else. What a gift. I know. What has your distraction been? Well, I actually did get to listen to our podcast and not be on it last week because Carly was guest hosting. So that was fun. And before we get into the season finale, I don't want to dwell on last week's episode, but I have to let it be known that it is Sex in the City canon that Stanford Blatch was a top. This was established in season five. Therefore, Anthony cannot also be a top because two tops does not a bottom make. And maybe that's why their relationship didn't work out. Perhaps they got into docking. We don't know. (laughs) And perhaps we never will know. I was obviously shocked by the whole Stanford being a monk thing. But I was thinking like, his son has to be getting money from this, right? Because that's kind of the only reason that makes sense to me as to why this would happen, because it seems cruel to make the actors do it. We already accepted that he was never coming back from Japan. We weren't like, what's going on with Stanford? Yeah, again, in the end, just like that world, things that they choose to address and things they don't choose to address, always very interesting. The only way I can process this is to assume that there had to be some altruistic motive. I hope so. I mean, do you think we're going to get some AI FaceTime from Stanford next season? Because, and I just want to thank the fuckettes who slid into our DMs and were very concerned for my well-being when it was announced that there will be a third season of it just like that. Yeah, guys, we were wrong. We clearly misread all of the Last Supper messaging. And I think because they gave Seema and Shay these love interests at the 11th hour, I just kind of assumed like, oh, this has to be a wrap. In the run-up to this season, a lot of the press language, especially Cynthia Nixon, talking about the show was like, well, you know, we're trying to wrap up and honor since it's the 25th anniversary of the show. So it just seemed like a, a, a finality point. And frankly, and this is what the most destabilizing thing is for me, because I like to think I know a little bit about the industry as a whole, but also my middle name is Cassandra. 
and like to be wrong about something. I just figured this show is so unbelievably expensive, but I guess it still is the number one Mac show. I know that was a surprise to me. I mean, I'm not surprised that shitloads of people are watching it. Obviously, we know that. I just didn't realize it was the crown jewel of Max. Also, I thought that because, do you remember when Cynthia Nixon was on Watch What Happens Live? And I think one of the callers asked, like, is Kim coming back for a full season? And her answer was like, no, like, I don't think that's likely, which I also took to be like, this show isn't coming back. I guess the most positive spin I can put on this is in a world where you can sort of see everything coming in movies and TV shows, I gotta say, Daddy MPK and the writers surprised even me about how this show uh, was going to end or not end. And look, Lauren, I know that you have mixed feelings about it, but I'm happy that it's renewed. And I'm appreciating the show for what it is, which is a distraction from the hellish hamster wheel called life. And I'm just kind of like luxuriating in its uniquely weird vibe. There's truly no other show like this. It is one of a kind. As someone that never watched Grey's Anatomy, I'm like, is this what watching Grey's Anatomy feels like? It's not. I watched the first three seasons and very, very different vibe. Here's where I am in the acceptance stage of, yes, guys, I'm, I'm back in acceptance because while the show is lacking, I think we all have to accept the fact that like, this is the best that we're going to get. It's not going to get better. It's the show that they want to make. And, you know, it has its ups and downs and cringy TikTok references, much like life itself. Sorry, I think the grief has propelled me into some sort of like accepting Hakuna Matata mindset. I feel like for Carrie, when Big left her at the altar, she was like, will I ever laugh again? And I feel for you, you're like, will I ever be bitchy again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When will I be a bitch again? Maybe right now. <laughs> I have to be like, Chell, that day will come when something really offends you and your aesthetics, you'll be a bitch again. I also want to touch upon Sada Ramirez's Instagram <laughs> post this week, which came out almost simultaneously with the announcement that the show was going to be renewed, which did seem kind of weird. And it was basically a response to the profile that Brock Collier did of them for the cut that came out in what, June at this point? I don't even know where to begin on this caption. It's certainly too long for us to read, but basically Sada lays into Brock calling them a hack job and repeatedly putting the word writer in quotes. Thoughts? I just think it's astonishing to comment about something that bothered you from two months ago. Like, I forgot this article had even come out. I mean, I didn't because it's one of the most fascinating celebrity profiles that I've ever read. But it is fully insane to say that someone can't write just because you disagree with their perspective. This is the issue if you read interviews with Daddy MPK and Sada, where they keep missing the point. That was the point of the article, ironically. But that's my point, is Sada is proving Brock's point in their response, and it feels like the way that Kardashians comment on their plastic surgery. Like, if you remember, Kim would be like, oh, people talk about how I got butt implants. It's like, no, we said you got a Brazilian butt lift. 
Or like how (laughs) certain real housewives now say, well, I'm not on Ozempic. And it's like, because they're on the other drug. They feel safe in commenting on a story uh, without having to comment on it and without technically lying. Like Sada is talking about all manner of points that Brock... It's not the main point of Brock's article. It's that queer people don't want to look at Che or don't want to have others look at Che as an example of of them, that Che is a very cringy character. I think another aspect of this article that Sada was really not vibing with was Brock's sort of assertion that they are just like their character. And Sada's like, this is not me, but it's like, Yeah, but you're a Mexican, Irish, bisexual, non-binary television star. Like, that is, like, highly specific. That dresses exactly how you dress in your private life. Also, Brock references Sada's Instagram bio, which if you look now, Sada has deleted. Right, I did notice that. I guess we'll link to that article and the post in the show notes. Shall we get into the ep? Why would you call it The Last Supper if the show was getting a third season? I was thinking, I was like, hmm, is it possible that they wrote this season not knowing if they were going to get picked up for another season? But it doesn't seem like you could write this episode without it continuing because everything is so open-ended. Like, it doesn't feel like much was resolved in this episode. No, but I suppose if this is where it ended, we could have just written fan fiction that Seema and Carrie never left Greece. (laughs) True. So the episode begins not a few weeks after the last episode or a few months as we have been used to this season, but seemingly the following morning, because Carrie is in the same outfit but she has left Gramercy and is entering her apartment. And she is on the phone with Aiden, who lets her know that thankfully Wyatt is out of the hospital. And we are wishing him a speedy recovery. Well, evidently this recovery is going to take five years and not a week (laughs) less. She gets a call from Samantha. This happened way earlier in the episode than I think anyone expected, which was actually a nice subversion. I was going to say, this is one of the many subversions that occur in this episode. However, I mean, we were so convinced that if you have Samantha, and that's our own fault, that's our own toxic fandom expectations that we had assumed it was going to be some... I mean, we knew it was Samantha in a car, but it would be her on the way to the apartment and it'd be this cliffhanger. But oh no. There was no cliff to hang off, which, you know, kind of makes sense for Anne just like that, given the overall feel of the show. So Samantha calls Carrie to be like, hey, I was going to come to your dinner party because Miranda and Charlotte told me, and as we know from the films, if you are leaving this apartment, I will show up every time because attention needs to be paid. (laughs) However, her flight from London was delayed. And I will say, I do like this element of realism because this is my true fear when flights get delayed, which is when they were set to take off, the crew had timed out. And then for some reason, Samantha was like, that's too much for me, okay? (laughs) I'm not getting a whole new flight. And then we get the part where she does her incredible Moira Rose-esque British accent. Yeah, who's Samantha? I'm Annabelle Bronstein. I will say, I've listened to the beginning of the Writer's Room podcast, and all of the OG writers are like, 
We hope that people get that reference. It's like, yes, we get it. It feels like kind of like the best piece of fan service that we've gotten since Carrie recycled her wedding dress. It shows how disconnected they are from the fandom, actually. If they're like, will anyone remember Annabelle Bronstein? Which one of the female OG writers, I didn't know which one, but one of them was like, I didn't even remember we shot that episode. It's like, how can you forget the Soho House British accent episode? We're such losers. We're like, that episode is our entire personality. Chell, I felt like Carrie when she first sees Aiden again in season four at Scout, where she just sort of turns around. She goes, that's it? That's all I get? Okay, but we knew that it wasn't going to be like this crazy volcanic event. This shouldn't have leaked. The creators didn't want the fact that Kim Cattrall was returning to leak. The actors did not want it to leak. It really took a lot of the oomph out of this. No, but there's really no way to bring Kim Cattrall back again, right? I mean, that's, that is all we're getting. And that was the best that we were ever going to get of her making a cameo. But, you know, they can't keep going back to that well, right? Of like, oh, honey, I tried to get a flight, but... (laughs) delayed again it was amazing to see her though this character we're all obsessed with her she's the best kim cattrall is a genius i did think the look was going to be more extreme than it was though i don't know what i was expecting i guess i was kind of maybe expecting something more akin to the outfits that she's been wearing on glamorous like where it's like the crazy sunglasses the crazy hat like all of it but she looked like fairly normal She looked a little pared down for Samantha. All I could focus on was the Fendi bag. She's an OG Fendi bitch, so that tracks. So then Charlotte wakes up hungover with Richard Burton. Harry informs her that Anthony is coming over because he wants to talk about losing his ass virginity. I know that I am in the minority. Evan Handler has had the least to do this season, and I feel like he's done the most with what he's been given dialogue-wise. When he said talking about losing his ass virginity, I laughed, and then when he followed it up with it's a whole will-he-won't-he type of thing, glorious. So Harry then bitches at Charlotte that, you know, he feels very proud that he was able to get his two teenage children out the door all by himself, And just a few things. They would have at least a housekeeper that would make them breakfast. Even if they didn't, your children are in their teens and they live in New York. There is no easier place to just send them out the door, give them 10 bucks, and say, go to the bodega and get a breakfast sandwich. Are there bodegas on the Upper East Side, though? I don't know. Actually, what am I saying? I'm sure there's a bodega on the Upper East Side. No one DM us about this. Yeah, and so Charlotte's like, you're doing the bare minimum. And then she threw a dog-eared copy of the feminine mystique in his face. (laughs) Not actually, but for those of you who didn't watch this episode and are just listening to this for God knows what reason. I did enjoy Charlotte's boundary to be like, send Anthony away. I can't take the ass virginity conversation on right now so miranda goes to coney island to visit steve and i don't know lauren i think i was actually touched by this scene they fixed a lot of damage they had done in the past two seasons 
to the backstory of Miranda and Steve with this scene, uh, Steve monologues about his interior state being close to the cyclone. But, you know, Steve's fine now. It's all in the past, which Miranda's like, no, I don't want to be in the past. I want this to be our present. And then suddenly... For those of you who don't live in Coney Island, the Cyclone is a very famous roller coaster that is a notorious death trap. Continue. Thank you. Chell, I don't know if you listened to And Just After That, but we did have a call last week where someone was like, I think Miranda and Steve might get together. And when Miranda was like, no, I don't want you to be in the past. I'm like, motherfucker, are they going to get them back together again? Lauren, I thought that they were going to get back together when I saw the preview from this episode where Miranda is running down the steps of the brownstone. I was like, oh, no, she's running to Coney Island (laughs) to lay all her cards out on the table. And they're going to do this thing for like a, what, a fifth time? I don't know. But We were spared of that. I am grateful. It also should go without saying that I am grateful that Carrie did not move to Virginia because I literally like was having visions of her with like her cat carrier and like a hat box, like, you know, getting on a train in Grand Central Station or something. No, combine those things. The cat is in the hat. She can't resist a pud like that. So Miranda also finally give Steve credit, maybe for the first time in the run of this show, which is that she concedes he was right about a lot of things. The house in Brooklyn, that they moved to the house. I like the acknowledgement that Steve was like, oh yeah, we would never be able to afford our house now, which gotta love when Gen X acknowledges that as a millennial. It's like, great, yeah. She says you were right about us being parents. About us being good parents. Of all the things that I've thought about this fictional family that I've spent way too much time thinking about, I never thought that the two of them were bad parents. I'm sure Miranda had some meltdown when she was pregnant, like worrying about something. Yeah, and, and then she says the only thing you weren't right about was us, which again is this like bizarre cognitive reframing of their relationship, which they were together for a good 15, 17 years. I consider that a win, as Steve reminds her. Well, yeah, you either are of the mindset that a relationship that long is a successful relationship, or you're of the mindset that unless you're with this person forever, it's a failure, which I think is insane. We should acknowledge that there's a bit of funniness between them when Steve himself thinks that she wants to get back together. And he's like, you can't go straight again. Like, I can't handle this. Like, you you go off in your corner, which I think we can both agree. Steve's probably fucking a 27-year-old, isn't he? That Whole Foods lady, whoever she is. So over at Naya's office, we meet her colleague, Gene, who, did this man look familiar to you? Yes, he's the tap dancing instructor, right? From season four? Yeah, Charlotte's dance instructor specifically. So he's changed fields. He's thriving. He's slaying at Columbia University. I mean, it checks out. 20 plus years ago, he could have gone to law school. I'm confused. Did she get a job that's different? Or is she like on some committee? Or like, what is this? Like, I'm an idiot. He tells Naya that she's been accepted into the American Law Institute. So the American Law Institute, the ALI, is the leading independent organization in the United States producing scholarly work to clarify, modernize, and otherwise improve the law. 
so she comes home to Miranda and tells her the good news. But, you know, she's sad because she doesn't have a man to share her success with. Not only does she not have a boyfriend, but her first impulse was to call her now ex-husband, Andre Rashad. And that makes her realize the most taboo thing you can say in the world of Sex and the City and, and just like that, which is, I have no man to share this with. Yeah, it's true. That did feel heavy. The other reason that we thought that and just like that was ending after this season was the rush to give everyone a love interest, which does feel like the ending of Sex and the City where everyone did have a person. I mean, can someone be single and happy and okay? Yeah, Naya's journey is like, all she does is like stay at home and make souffles for herself and just like thrive. Well, that's going to come in handy later in the episode. The Last Supper is starting. Carrie is in... Quite a beautiful dress, a checkerboard sequin Oscar de la Renta, you know, one of Alexander Petrovsky's closest friends, as we know. And LTW is there with her husband. Charlotte's there. Lizette's there. Lizette looks a little crazy at the Last Supper. Crazed or her outfit is crazy? Just a little eccentric. Just putting that out there. Harry comes in fresh from the Apple store with a new iPhone for Charlotte. Very much giving your dad vibes with that. Oh, yeah. My dad's love language is just technology products. If it's not a new phone or a phone case or like a prime lens for your phone. We also have Charlotte commenting on the fact that LTW is drinking. And then for a second, Charlotte's like, oh, are you not telling anyone? Like, are you pretending to drink? And then LTW is like, well, we lost it. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're going to continue to not say the dreaded word and then her husband's like we had a miscarriage i was like oh okay so we're just throwing that word out there look i'm not mad at that because some people need the word miscarriage it's like how if you're like 10 you don't understand that there's an abortion in dirty dancing because no one says the word abortion like sometimes we need that information you know for all the the youngins watching in just like that or I guess the men, the Lukes that have been forced to watch this with their girlfriends slash wives. We do also get Harry saying that Charlotte is slaying at work, which I understand is supposed to be cringe. But again, Evan Handler doing a lot with nothing. All right, let's get into Che, who arrives before Miranda. Interesting. So Che walks in and introduces themselves to Lizette, which... Perhaps Lizette is so unhinged because just imagine if you are the millennial that takes over and has bought at a bear market rate your Gen X slash young boomer neighbor's apartment and you're forced to sit there with all of their friends. Like, we know these characters because we've watched this show. But from Lizette's perspective, she's invited to a dinner party with no one that she knows. (laughs) Yeah, she has no plus one. Poor girl. And then she meets Che, who announces that they're transitioning emotionally. That scared the shit out of me at first, because I was like, oh my god, is Che actually transitioning into a man? Because, like, can you imagine, like, Che Diaz newly on T doing stand-up? But thankfully, Che is just transitioning into a new person, because the old me is fucked, and the new me is not here yet. Look, sometimes you just have to accept when you're in that state. I do kind of vibe with that. I have been there, certainly. (laughs) I also might vibe with Lizette. (laughs) Like, 
who is more California than I realized. Oh, right. Because Lizette's like, that's totally how I felt when I first moved to New York from California. That's why I designed this butterfly ring. I'm hella literal. Yeah, she tries to find a, a larger meaning about metamorphosis. And Lizette's like, I also just like butterflies. I'm like really literal. This scene might be the most shocking scene in this episode because it's a one-two punch, right? Because Che goes to introduce themselves and Lizette's like, oh, I know who you are. And I was like, no, Lizette is a fan of Che's comedy concert. And it's like, Lizette's like, no, I was a fan of your podcast. Well, I kind of think that makes sense to listen to your neighbor's podcast if you're obsessed with your neighbor. Like, I recently started watching my landlord's YouTube channel. I'll get into that at a later date. But anyway. (laughs) So then Jackie arrives, which I don't know if Bobby Lee has some incriminating photos of Daddy MPK or what, but I don't understand the amount of screen time that Bobby Lee got this fucking season. It was truly wild. However, they did tell Che like it is, which someone needed to be a dick to Che, although it is explained by Smoke to Lizette that this is how comedians communicate. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Is Jackie supposed to be a comedian too? Yeah. A lot of podcasters have that background, no? Yeah, I mean, not us. Not, but not me and you, but... I just think it's amusing that Bobby Lee's Jackie has been on multiple times and I was not aware of what their actual career is. Yeah, true. I'm going to lose it if next season Bobby Lee and Carrie just have a podcast together. I think we're out of that phase. I I mean, I don't know. Anything could happen. It is and just like that. And then Che, Jackie, and Carrie hug because of course you know, the end just like that heads. That's the resolution we needed was X, Y, and me (laughs) coming back together and, and, and hugging it out. (laughs) after the premature ending of their forced podcast. So Anthony and Giuseppe arrive and Giuseppe's like, you can go up the stairs first to Anthony, unless that makes you feel like a woman. Okay. First of all, saying that he doesn't want to be the woman is so rude and sexist in the first place. It feels like it's straight out of like a tragic gay historical romance and not like, a show set in present day New York City, although it is consistent with Anthony's history of saying fucked up shit, which they kind of dialed back on in just like that. Something like that, I would imagine more than anything does come from Daddy MPK's perspective or his friend's perspective of gay dating today. Okay, Daddy MPK is not that old. Like we're not talking about people living during the Great Depression. Right. So Miranda comes with Naya and they immediately run into that hot guy from the bar from however many episodes ago, who incidentally is the chef that is preparing their meal, which feels very Emily in Paris. I know you don't watch that show, but there is also a chef love interest. This I remember. I I watched the first season. If it's like Emily in Paris, hopefully this man also has a very cool French bisexual girlfriend. I knew they were going to set up Naya with the hot Michelin chef. Paul did point out something, which is restaurants get Michelin stars, chefs get James Beard awards, but whatever. I'm not nearly as facially blind as you are, but I will say if I met that man once, seemingly eight months ago... 
if we think about the timeline of in just like that season two, I don't know if I'd be immediately able to be like, oh, right, I'm, you're that hot guy from that bar that one time. I don't know. He does have a pretty distinctive face, I have to say. Also, Miranda looks incredible. I mean, I love redheads wearing red just generally as a fashion trope, but it's really, really beautiful on her. I have no idea who made it, but I'm sure we'll find out. And Miranda in jewel tones this season has been especially strong. I think about the purple dress from the Valentine's Day episode. Right, from her date. Yeah, she also looked really good there. We needed it to be spring on this show. Spring fashions, I think, are stronger than winter. Apart from that Montclair outfit, obviously. So Miranda makes a beeline for Che and says, we can't fuck up Carrie's party. And Che immediately apologizes, says, I'll never do those jokes again. Miranda says, well, I don't understand where that came from. I thought we ended well. And then Che says, I did too until I saw that you ghosted my two calls. I, I don't know if I didn't get a call back from you the two times I called, if I would then just do like a barn burning character assassination of you on stage. True, but if someone's contacting you specifically, like I have your shit, I need to give it to you. I don't think it's appropriate to ghost. Also, I really agree with Carly's read of Che's stand-up from the previous episode. Like, They are such a hypocrite for expecting the world to accept them while shaming Miranda for her sexuality and like erasing her bisexuality. But like, I was truly shocked that Miranda did not make the point. Like, you know, when Che did the bit, it was like, she invited four people into our bed, me, her, the husband and the kid. No, you're the one that invited your husband into our bed. Like we saw that episode thought that would be a fun opportunity for Miranda to throw that back in their face. But what can you do? You wanted some sort of like Def Jam comedy battle Miranda versus Che? Well, I think her response felt more hurt than angry. And I don't know. I like to see Miranda asserting herself. I feel like she does that less now. Although I do feel like her soul is coming back into her body slowly but surely. It feels like this season, the movement of Miranda away from Carrie. I mean, just by the fact that like Carrie doesn't get up and walk out of Che's comedy set. Oh, that was insane. And then has the audacity to be like, you can't cancel my dinner. It's like, bitch, you have to disinvite my psychotic ex who just publicly humiliated me. And did you notice, Chelsea, who's sitting next to Carrie at the table? Che. Miranda's at the other end of the table. That's so wild. I do like that Miranda keeps asserting those jokes were not funny and Che just goes, agree to disagree. (laughs) I did think it was nice that the writers acknowledge how insane that relationship was. Because Miranda goes, what was all of that? Meeting us as our relationship and Che goes, I don't know, a train wreck. And then Miranda has to cognitively reframe and be like, but like a good train wreck. Yeah, I understand where she's coming from. It actually wasn't that much of a train wreck. They broke up amicably. It became a train wreck when Che did stand-up comedy. So Seema arrives with the Marvel director. And there's a very awkward conversation between Carrie, Seema, and her boyfriend, the Marvel director, which... As Carly correctly pointed out, they have zero chemistry, which seems insane because the actress that plays Seema is the hottest woman 
alive. That's all I kept noticing this episode. Yeah, especially when she had the like little black like negligee or whatever later in the app. But no, this awkwardness is on purpose. He, of course, has to take a call and Carrie's like, what is going on? And Seema, as an act of protest, is just not going to put in any effort because she said, I love you. And he directly said it back, but is still on his phone all of the time, which it's like, Seema, I imagine you are also a workaholic as well. I know. When I saw this, I was like, damn, she's still obsessed with this. And then I realized like, oh, this takes place like the day after the last episode. In my head, I was like, it's three weeks later and she's still freaking out about this. Because there's so much that happens during this dinner party. Well, let's just wrap up the Seema, the Marvel director, right? He he misses half of the dinner because he has a call, because uh, his Marvel film might not be able to shoot in front of the pyramids in Egypt, and so he's got to go. And he correctly calls Seema out for her pushing him away and kind of starting a non-fight, right? You know, why are you questioning my feelings for you? I've given you nothing that would give you cause for that. I have not ticked and talked for a very long time. I hope you know what that means. Meanwhile, Giuseppe is threatening to leave the country because um, Anthony won't let him fuck him. Yes, ever the poet. He says, what's that word where you can't really get in? And Harry's like, impenetrable. He's like, yes, I find New York impenetrable. When they have their confrontation, it's even crazier. Because I believe the dialogue is, this isn't about your ass wall, it's about your other walls. Wait, what? Normally... When we watch the end just like that, like because we're in California, we can watch them at midnight the night before and then record in the morning. It's because I am in New York right now, I had to just watch it like first thing in the morning and then just and then record this. So I'm a little hazy on on some of the details. I was uh, pausing and making sure I got everything down. Then Anthony says to Giuseppe, I've only been in love once. I would assume Stanford is the person he's referring to, to which Giuseppe's like, wait, so you're in love with me? And then Anthony is like, oh, did I not mention that? Cute. Look, I do ship this couple. I will always ship this couple. So the dinner starts and Carrie makes everyone around the table say one word that represents something that they want to let go of. This kind of bonding experience gives me the most extreme anxiety anytime I have to do something like this. I hate shit like this. I literally just had to do this like when I did ayahuasca last spring. Like they made us go around and do, I'm not joking. I was like having a meltdown. Yeah, I mean, at least with Thanksgiving, there is an expectation depending on what family or friends experience you go to that you'll be asked to list something that you're thankful for. But it's one thing to say one thing you want to let go of, but then to reduce it down to a word, which like, Thank you to the writer so we didn't have to spend 15 minutes in this scene with the characters. But it's like, if that were actually you, I'd still be at Carrie's apartment trying to think of a word. Most of these make no fucking sense. Okay, they all make sense. Hard disagree, but whatever. Continue. Well, for Che, it's rules. But like with the Sada Ramirez Instagram post, what rules are constricting you, Che? You seem to do whatever you want, whenever you want to. <laughs> okay, fair point. Smoke says competitiveness, which to be fair, I know nothing of Smoke. This is probably relevant to her. <laughs> Jackie has a joke. Ever the comedian, because as we just learned, 
Jackie's a stand-up. One thing they want to let go of is smoke. Get it? That old ball and chain. No, but they're kidding. They're really going to let go of nervousness. Anthony is going to give up on control. Giuseppe says Rome, which first I had to go back because I was like, what? What I mean by this not making sense for the characters is as it increasingly goes on, it makes sense for the plot that we've seen. So for Anthony to say control and for Giuseppe to say Rome, if you were legit at this dinner party, you'd be like, what? But as the audience, you're like, oh, I get what's happening. The Marvel director says social media, which he's hyphenated that word. Clever. Seema's letting go of distrust. Naya says yesterday, to which Miranda was like, oh, damn, that was going to be me. Okay, Miranda's going to let go of guilt. LTW, like, refuses to think of another word, which, fair point. People should be able to have the same word. And I guess LTW's husband would be us at this dinner party, just being like, pass, come back (laughs) to me. Hopefully people have forgotten about this. Lizette says fear, which is like, fear of what? Oh, come on, we all have fear. I don't know if if I didn't know anyone at this dinner party, I'd be like, I'm letting go of fear. Harry's letting go of possessiveness, which... I guess he was possessive of Charlotte's time. Yeah. Charlotte's letting go of limits and Carrie is letting go of expectations. I just want to say this was the moment where in my head I was like, is this what watching Grey's Anatomy is like? It's literally nothing like Grey's Anatomy. I'm telling you, Lauren, I've seen so much Grey's Anatomy. Like on Grey's Anatomy, like all they do is just like flirt with each other while like people die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, look, I'm with Carrie. I think that not having expectations is a really great life philosophy. Absolutely. However, the execution of her letting go of expectations, the resolution of this is the most insane resolution one could have. Look, she didn't expect to go to Greece. (laughs) Okay. So Miranda gets a call. She has to go on the BBC to speak on behalf of the Human Rights Watch about migrant detention centers and she has to do this asap immediately but it's actually very full circle because remember this is why miranda wanted to get out of corporate law to begin with this particular issue right or immigration that's true she was so inspired by those lawyers that went down to the airports in 2017 Yeah, this isn't the most aspirational storyline for miranda's little scene boss Evidently, you can't have it all. Or you can if you're if you have a 50 something year old assistant who can be on the BBC at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, independently wealthy intern. (laughs) So she dramatically runs down the stairs of Carrie's building, gets to the studio. That one chick is here. And by that one chick, I mean the actor Dolly Wells. Do you recognize this person? I mean, she looks familiar to me, but I can't place what I've seen her in. She starred in and wrote on this show called Doll and M, which I forget what it was on, but I did watch that. And she was Melissa McCarthy's love interest in Can You Ever Forgive Me? So she's doing all sorts of gay shit these days. And I guess she's a producer at the BBC. I really didn't connect who she was when we met her last episode. Although, you know, I do understand television and did get that she was probably going to be Miranda's new love interest. Oh yeah, for sure. I like that 
we get a call back to Miranda in LA, right? Because right before she's about to go on air, she touches her MH tattoo to remind herself who she is. I thought that was cute. Yeah, she's Miranda fucking Hobbs. And I hope now that Miranda Hobbs is back to being Miranda Hobbs, people will stop leaving one star reviews on our Amazon page for our book. We should all be Miranda's. <laughs> Maybe we should do a, an updated edition. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Is this where the Marvel director asked Seema to come to Cairo with him? Yeah, and she's like, I have a job. And he's like, but I'm one of 12 directors that's been allowed to shoot in front of the Sphinx. It's like me and Michael Bay and whoever else. I mean, this is very akin to Samantha, like, I love you, but I love me more, which is where I thought it was going. But of course, we can't have stakes of any kind in it just like that. And he's like, okay, you don't want to come to Cairo with me. It's just five months. I'll be coming back because I'm so in love with you. Also, you made me sign an ironclad lease. Yeah, it seems like they left this kind of open-ended like the word like we'll be in a long distance relationship hasn't been used at all in this episode but maybe that's just like weird to me long distance relationships are treated in such a black and white manner which is so Siva's just not gonna see him for five months straight there's there's not a hey I'll take a week or two off here and there to come to Cairo yeah it's like that's a problem when you're poor but when you're filthy rich, as both of these people are. And you work for yourself. And clearly, as we see, Seema and Carrie take a vacation together. So I'm not exactly sure why she couldn't maybe go to Egypt for two weeks. So everyone leaves. Aiden shows up. He throws rocks at the window. Because she finally burned out her buzzer, which the lack of care that Carrie has... If you remember, there's a point during the dinner party where Lizette's like, um, where's that water damage coming from? She's like, I don't know, bitch, it's your problem. <laughs> and Aiden's like, I tried buzzing you. And she's like, oh, I guess it doesn't work. Eh, Lizette's problem now. <laughs> she comes up to Carrie's apartment with nothing, which I didn't clock because it felt very obviously reminiscent of when Carrie throws the rocks at Aiden's window and then he does the same thing. And that's how they get back together in season four. But Carrie also notes that he has returned from Virginia with nothing. He doesn't answer. And all I could think of was, I thought after 9-11, you could not not travel with no luggage. <laughs> like, what kind of TSA searches did Aiden have to go through just to get up to New York? No, you can travel with no luggage. That's crazy. That can't be true. Some questions are being asked of you. Also, Lauren, yesterday I had to see something and say something at the airport. <gasps> yeah, I saw a random unattended bag, like in a spooky place at the bottom of an escalator. I was like, mm. anyway, everyone lived, so <laughs> it's all good. So... She offers Aiden a drink. He wants a beer. She's like, well, you know, I, I won't drink either. And then he doesn't answer her. And she's like, should I drink? And I was like, here we go. Here's the breakup. But again, got to give it up to the writers. Could not have predicted where this was going to go. So Aiden is basically like, I can't keep doing this back and forth shit. I need to just fully live in Virginia I just found out that not only was Wyatt drunk, but he had psilocybin in his system. Where do you even get magic mushrooms? It's like, I don't know. You live in the country. They just grow out of the ground. 
it's like I did find that a little odd because he was acting like he had fentanyl in his system or something like that. It's like psilocybin actually could help with this child's mental issues, potentially. We've also glossed over the fact that Aiden just fully goes into her apartment, which was a thing for multiple episodes, which... I was like, oh, oh, I guess they're just not going to address this. But I guess after Aiden got off his chest that he was just afraid that he was going to get fucking pissed off and, I don't know, Adam Driver punched the wall in her apartment, that's why he couldn't come up. But I guess Wyatt's safety made him finally go through that threshold. When he's like, my other two are only 17 and 20, I'm like, babe, those are adults. Like, okay, look, I understand that a 17-year-old's brain isn't fully formed, but 17 is pretty close to the age of, like, you move out. 20 is, like, the age, like, you're gone. I was living in my first apartment in New York by myself at 20. So this whole logic around the kids is so bizarre because at once he must have a nanny state with Wyatt, but also the belief that, like, once Wyatt's 19, like, it's all good. Like, that once they're out of their teenage years, you no longer have to parent? Well, clearly not, since he's still concerned about the 20-year-old. Look, and I understand as a parent, of course you're always concerned about your kids, no matter what their age is, we get that. Just speaking our truth. Right, I mean, Carrie very valiantly is like, well, you're not even going to come up when Kathy has the kids? He's like, this happened when Kathy had the kids. And like, may I just say... This probably would have still fucking happened even if you weren't in New York. Yeah. The kid is troubled. All I could hear is like my dad's voice in my head just being like, send the kid to military school, (laughs) which I think would be my father's response to most uh, adult youth. Yeah, just send him to one of those um, fucked up Paris Hilton out of control teens, you know, torture programs. We learn from Aiden that... Kathy was, in his mind, an absentee parent because he was always the children's home because he was the constant while they were growing up. I just have to say, I had a father who traveled constantly in my youth and my adolescence, and I turned out fine. Live your bliss. (laughs) Then Carrie's like, I could come down there. And he's like, no, no, because I'd only be thinking about you. This feels like Chandler trying to break up with Janice. And he has to like make up that he's moving to Yemen. Like (laughs) she's trying to work with him. And he's like, no, no, no. I'd only be thinking about you. You are all I've been thinking about all of these years. But I'm just like not going to visit you for five years. Like it's, yeah, it's so, it's weird. Are we supposed to think that they're going to be in a long distance relationship just like with no physical contact or very infrequent physical contact? Well, now I don't know where this leaves us because is Aiden coming back? Are they going to have a whole like don't ask, don't tell sex rule? Like, are we going to get single Carrie? Because the last scene with Seema doesn't really give us that impression. Okay, no one has less open relationship energy than Carrie and Aiden. By the way, for those who haven't watched the episode, but are just listening to our recap, Aiden's like, give me five years. Look, the last 10 went by like this, so five will be fine. So wild. Don't you want to pick this up when we're in our early 60s? Now we get a montage that feels like a callback to the montage we got at the beginning of the first episode. Elton and Britney's Hold Me Closer. (laughs) Except this time, like, half of them are fucking and the other people are just, like, 
really depressed. Harry and Charlotte, who I would have expected to be having sex, are instead trying to figure out how to set up her iPhone without having to ask for Rock's help. Not one of the OG girls can have a normal relationship with a cell phone. This much has become apparent. LTW and her husband are having like grief cuddling. Miranda and her love interest are laughing at the bar. Seema and her boyfriend are having sex, but it does not seem pleasurable. It is shocking to say that someone cannot have chemistry with Seema because her and Aiden had so much chemistry when they saw each other that people thought that's where the story was going to go. It's kind of weird to see her with an actor that she just has no chemistry with. Okay, also, speaking of people that don't seem like they're enjoying having sex, can we talk about Anthony's bottoming journey? Okay, they pan down to that side table, and there's bourbon, lube, and not a popper in sight. There's boy butter, though. Also, I do doubt that he would be, like, getting fucked for the first time right after eating a five-course meal, but that's another thing entirely. Is he enjoying it? I think the idea is that at first he's not, and then I think maybe Giuseppe found his prostate or something. Then he leans into it? Yeah. It was a weird mix of, like, it's not played for comedy, it's not dramatic, but it's also not just, like sexy it is exactly the tone of in just like that and just like that is not funny it's not dramatic it feels like both of those things yet it's neither it's it's all of these things at different times i think that's what it is i don't think it's not funny or not dramatic it just it's a spectrum of emotion yeah so naya brings the chef home to fuck him but he's starving because he just cooked that whole ass meal so i guess she makes him something her souffle of course well then we have che When Che walked into their bedroom, which, one, I thought they were kicked out of that apartment. But two, I get it. It's the end of the season. They don't have a budget for another room for Che to be staying in. When Che walks through their bedroom door and they have those bedroom eyes and they're looking at the door that we can't see, I swear to God, I thought Lizette was going to walk through the door. (laughs) Okay, that's so random. Why? Because I felt like when Lizette and Che were talking at the apartment, there was like some energy between them. I, yeah, no, it's true. I feel like they did have chemistry. They definitely have more chemistry than Che and Toby, which still to me feels like a highly improbable couple. But Chelsea, there's nothing hotter than two strong NB people together. Yeah, that bit of dialogue from last episode was a choice, but... Uh, Shall we get to the main event? We get a montage of Carrie and Aiden making love so graphically. Chelsea, I screamed. Okay, it wasn't that graphic. We literally didn't see anything. Carrie wasn't wearing a bra, which was huge. But the fact that John Corbett is naked, like, it's not like he's wearing flesh-colored underwear, and he's covered by a blanket. Like, he is wearing a cock sock, and he very much does, like, a John Lennon naked cuddling around Yoko (laughs) move. You're right. It's so John Lennon. And also, like, Sarah Jessica Parker's knees are, like, almost to her shoulders. Like, we never see Carrie move. Look, I'm not mad that they made this choice. It's very clear Sarah Jessica Parker loves John Corbett. The fact that she would do, when I say graphic, I mean in, like, Sex in the City terms. Like, this is the most graphic we've seen Carrie We're seeing leg placement. (laughs) We're seeing Carrie on top. Like, 
This was wild. <laughs> so the next day, Aiden leaves. Carrie walks Aiden to the door, and then she's like, no matter what happens, this wasn't a mistake. And it's like, not a thought that crossed my mind, but okay. She watches him leave from her really fabulous Gramercy Park balcony. And then she gets a call from Seema, who's like, I got us a place on the beach, not the Hamptons, but Greece. The most Malibu-looking Greece I've ever seen in my life. And this is where... And just like that crosses over with my big fat Greek wedding three coming to theaters this summer. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they're like, well, we're both unattached. So instead of visiting our partners, let's just go somewhere. I like that Seema's like, so we both ran headfirst into love. And where did that get us? I don't know where it got either of you is the thing. I don't know if you're still in relationships. Like I'm <laughs> genuinely confused about where you've left things off with both of your partners, what the arrangement is, if there's any sort of structure or if it's just this, you know, lost love sort of thing. Well, Carrie goes, there will be more. And you're like, oh, okay. So you guys are single again. Then she goes, drinks. And then she orders Cosmos in in Greek, or her attempt at Greek, and then we get the end just like that, which is, and just like that, I order two more Cosmos, which now that we're getting a season three, let's just let go of the end just like that. They're not adding anything. Well, this end just like that is one of the most peculiar and just like that's of all time, because she's saying something that just happened. Like, we just saw you order two Cosmos. Like, we already know that you ordered two more Cosmos. This is why I'm saying I think we need to get rid of them, which is if you can't make them clever, just don't do it. Because it, it feels like at this point, it's like that scene in Anchorman where they're all talking about love. And then Steve Carell's character just says, I love lamp. <laughs> okay. Only a couple of them have felt like I love lamp level. Some of them are good. It's up and down. And I kind of like the unpredictable nature of the end just like that. Because some of them are poignant others are played for comedy others are just completely random and insane and i think this is one of those random and insane ones well yeah it's it's clearly not one of the good ones <laughs> so we did it guys we we got through season two of and just like that i just don't understand what we're gonna do with carrie and i feel like they're just gonna treat it like rebooting the matrix where it's like carrie actually in season three tries to get back her apartment again honestly if it was her being like if you remember i'm sorry guys that i keep referencing other movies I, I swear i'll try to get better at this but i it's the only thing i can relate it to remember in father of the bride part two when he sells when steve martin's character sells the house and they're going to demolish it, and then he gets it back. I half expected that to happen. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I love both of those films, obviously. What if next season is Carrie like, actually, remember when I got a new place in the first season, and then I made a big mistake and wanted to move back? And then, Seema, remember when I told you that I was serious this time? Actually, I did make a mistake again. And it's just like a tug of war between Lizette and Carrie to get the apartment back. We shall see. I have no idea <laughs> what to expect for this next season because there are no cliffhangers apart from the fact that we don't understand if Carrie and Seema are single or not. Well, and Miranda might have like a new girlfriend, which would be cool. That's great. I mean, working Charlotte, who's like, fuck off 
children and husband. Yeah, Charlotte's glow up has been truly inspiring. Like she got like a fashion makeover and a vibe makeover. And it's so nice to see her, the girl that we always knew. I will say this, there is something exciting about the next season in the sense that the writers really have painted themselves into a corner and it will be interesting to see how they get themselves out of it because clearly anything we predict is incorrect well not everything we have correctly predicted a lot of stuff about and just like that but yes it does all feel very open-ended and they could take these characters in whatever direction they want at this point but i am very grateful about where we ended with charlotte where we ended with Miranda, I think all of that is great. Yeah. Anyway, honey, I got to go, but we will be back. We will not be back next week because we are taking a week off. Lauren is checking herself into an inpatient facility. And by inpatient facility, Chelsea means the Sunset Tower. (laughs) And, uh, but we will be back the week after that with an episode about I guess some of the stuff we missed this summer and we will have a new Patreon episode next week that's coming out on Friday. So if you miss us talking about bullshit, you can listen to that. All right, Chell. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to see you next week. Love you too, honey. Bye. Bye guys. (laughs) 